This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm talking with Cap Times higher education reporter Yvonne Kim, who's been digging into how the University of Wisconsin-Madison is planning for fall as coronavirus cases and death counts surge around the U.S. Welcome, Yvonne. Hi, Natalie. It's good to be back on the podcast. Glad to have you. So you note in your story that there was, for the most part, a lot of agreement among colleges and universities about how to respond to the pandemic back in March. Are we seeing that same kind of agreement now? I would say that on some level, yes. I think that there is consensus that reopening is something that needs to be taken very seriously, of course. And especially, as you mentioned, with a new second surge of coronavirus cases that we need to maybe implement or reconsider the health plans that were laid out prior. But it's definitely not the same kind of unanimous agreement that we saw in March. Um, As I mentioned in my story, there is a range of different reopening plans with some schools completely opening in person and having plans ready to have classes and um, on-campus activities happening. And then there are some schools that are completely online. So we're seeing a big disagreement in terms of what is the best and most effective option to reopen, although it's all on the foundation that this is definitely something that we need to take seriously. So what's the plan for UW-Madison? UW-Madison announced that they will be pursuing a hybrid model, which means that some of the elements of teaching will stay online as it has been through spring and summer, but that they will be reopening some in-person elements as well. They announced a smart restart plan in June. And that's when they sort of laid out exactly how classes are planning to work and the health and safety procedures that they will be implementing in residence halls and in common shared spaces. So classes that are fewer than 50 students are the ones that are most likely to have in-person components. Um, They will be spreading out classrooms to be socially and physically distanced, which means that they'll probably hold a very small percentage of what these classes could hold beforehand. You can imagine maybe a discussion section happening in a room that's normally meant for a huge lecture. And then classes with over 100 students will almost definitely be happening only online. And then classes in the middle um, are probably yet to be determined. And then the biggest thing that obviously any university should be relying on is testing and health and safety procedures. So they're laying out a robust system in which anyone on campus can be tested for free and practically unlimited. And then a requirement in which certain groups of students or faculty and staff that are particularly vulnerable, maybe someone living in a residence hall, will be tested regularly for the virus. They are planning to start school as usual on September 2nd, but after this Thanksgiving break, they will only be continuing online. And that's to make sure that students stay home or in their permanent residences and don't come back to campus for that awkward one week of classes and finals where they might have a chance of bringing back the virus or increasing the rate of infections. And what do we know about why administrators chose a hybrid model? So it seems like 
even though it's called a hybrid model, you can actually think of it as a lot of it being more online than you would think. Um, but it is important to note that according to administrators, a lot of the feedback that they have received implies that students and their families really do want to maintain a lot of the in-person components of learning and teaching that make a university experience what it is. And especially for people who might be coming to school for the first time, it's important to maintain that sort of semblance of regular university learning. Um, and I think that according to how the SMART Restart Plan was laid out and also the guidance that they took from health officials and the UW system, it seems like their motivation really is to balance um, the need for proper learning with health and safety procedures. So they announced this plan about a month ago, but since then, coronavirus case numbers have spiked in Wisconsin and in Dane County, especially among college-age people. Is there any reason to think the university might now rethink its plan? I don't think that there is much of a chance that the university will completely change its plan in terms of moving from a hybrid model to a completely online model. But I do think that there is a possibility that they change certain parts of the plan. According to university communications, they simply said that they're continuing to monitor the situation and a variety of different factors like the rate at which young people are being affected or the healthcare system capacity, I'm assuming both locally and nationally. But I think they will continue to stick with the hybrid model. I do look forward to seeing whether or not they're going to make the health and safety procedures or requirements even stricter. Right now, what are some of the things that those procedures call for? Right. So as I mentioned, of course, classrooms will be distanced and there will be free and unlimited access to testing. Other than that, the UW system actually voted in July to make sure that masks are mandatory on all system campuses. So students will be required to wear face coverings as well as faculty and staff. There will also be increased cleaning supplies available in classrooms so that students can wipe down um, before they start their class if they choose to do so. And it's also important to note that even if a student is enrolled in a class that is in person, no student is required to go to those in-person elements. So if someone has a 10-person discussion section that is meeting in person, but that individual student doesn't feel comfortable going, they won't have to and it wouldn't affect their grade in any way. They just would use virtual accommodations to finish their coursework accordingly. Yeah. What would happen if a student didn't want to come back to campus at all? Maybe didn't even want to move back to Madison, for example. Or what if a professor didn't want to teach in person? That's definitely one of the stickier elements of this plan that I've still been trying to parse out. I think if a student does not want to return to campus, it is explicit that they do not have to do so. Um, I am curious to see a little bit more about how exactly those details would play out in a classroom setting. For instance, if 80% of the students are attending the in-person elements, whereas 20% are still staying at home or might even be across time zones, what sort of accommodations they would be making to make sure that runs as smoothly as possible. But yes, it is clear that they don't have to return. The UW system regents, a lot of them are working to create language where professors and instructors also would explicitly not have to teach a class should they not want to or not feel safe doing so. In fact, the American Association of University Professors Madison chapter actually released the results of a survey in which a big majority of instructors on campus responded that they did not feel comfortable teaching in person this fall and that 
a good amount of them are waiting on feedback from the university to find out whether or not those preferences will be accommodated. So we look forward to hearing those results as well. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. You mentioned that the university had been hearing that students and their families you know, did really want some sort of in-person element to the fall semester. What are you hearing about how students are feeling about coming back? I'm hearing an interesting range of emotions from students who are coming back. Of course, there is the excitement to be back on campus to see their friends again. It's been longer than a normal summer break because they've been at home since the beginning of spring break and they never came back for the second half of spring semester. But they definitely are also worried, especially seeing that the new rise in coronavirus cases is not only across age groups, but it's specific to young people. Now more than before, there's 20 to 29 year olds who are infected with and spreading the virus. So that's something that they're also keeping in mind. I think the most hopeful thing that I've heard among students is that they would like to trust in themselves and in their peers to be able to follow health and safety guidelines and you know, believe that they're not going to be going around recklessly to bars and frat parties spreading this carelessly. But there's definitely a mix between excitement and concerned anticipation to come back. Yeah. You talk in your story about how some of the key things that are part of the traditional college experience, you know, like being in the dorms and going to parties and things like that are also potentially some of the riskiest situations. How is it going to feel to be a student back on campus, but not knowing like how cautious your roommate is or how cautious your classmates are being? Right. I think one interesting caveat to that also is that bars, of course, but also even Greek life, for example, are not legally part of university property. So it's not something that actually falls under the Smart Restart guidelines. And it's important that university officials, local officials, and students work together to make sure that they're sticking to those rules, even when they're not officially on campus grounds. But I think students will be a little bit more cautious in terms of who they hang out with and the social circles that they belong to. And I'm interested to see how unspoken social policies kind of come about in terms of who people choose to engage with. I spoke with one student who was talking about how you can see on Snapchat or Instagram what types of people other people have been hanging out with or whether they're wearing masks or whether they were at a bar a few nights ago. And that ultimately now the burden of responsibility is not up to people in power, but the students themselves in terms of how they choose to engage. So I think those codes of social conduct will be really interesting to monitor. Absolutely. I I totally agree. All right. So the semester starts on September 2nd. What all still needs to be sorted out before then? Quite a few things, actually, although I do assume that a lot of these things are being sorted out behind the scenes that we don't know about yet and haven't been officially announced. But the Smart Restart Plan was really just a broad umbrella. It had outlined a lot of procedures that they were hoping to implement or categories that they wanted to look at. But the real specifics of everything um, have yet to be hashed out, like which classrooms are going to be used, how many classrooms can be used, whether or not professors and instructors will be behind plexiglass when they're teaching. So I think those nitpicky details are the most important things that need to be sorted out. 
As I mentioned earlier, class registration is still happening. So we're looking forward to finalizing the schedules so that students know what in-person and online elements that they will be participating in in the fall. And then most importantly, extracurricular activities. So things that don't necessarily fall under a traditional classroom experience, how students will be holding club meetings or what type of training athletes might be going through if they're participating in sports. So I think those are the biggest questions. And what do we know beyond fall? Are any of these changes looking to be permanent? How soon are we going to know what's happening for the spring semester? Right. I think a lot of that is, of course, yet to be determined and based on what happens with the COVID-19 pandemic. I do recall that Chancellor Blank said, you know, if we reach a certain point during the fall where the pandemic just gets out of hand, or if it's not something that can handle a hybrid model anymore, there is chance that students end up going back fully online the way they did during the spring semester. So we really have no way whether this will go left or right. And that will obviously determine what happens in the spring. I will say that I think a hopeful part of my reporting that I've seen is that a lot of changes or adaptations that not only UW Madison, but a lot of administrators have made will continue to be effective even past the fall in terms of lessons that they've learned through online learning or how to be more accommodating to their students and changes to course modalities that they have made. So I think those changes will definitely be more permanent and in an optimistic way, for sure. I think they've learned how to be a lot more adaptable and how to teach in a lot of different ways that was something that they didn't have the time or the resources for before this pandemic. Absolutely. Yvonne, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you as well. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Yvonne Kim, who's always following the latest in Madison area higher education, even when a pandemic changes everything. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.